0: Hello and welcome to the Language Revolution Podcast. My name is Kate Hamilton. I'm a languages teacher and founder of Babel Babies. The aim of this podcast is to get people talking about talking. So without further ado, let's get started. Today I'm talking to actor, author, producer, educator, often in the realm of Shakespeare, uh, Ben Crystal. Good afternoon Ben.
1: Good afternoon Kate.
0: Um, I'd like to talk to you today about our human need to express ourselves in words and perhaps even Shakespeare's words. Um, In the previous episode of the podcast I was chatting to a psychologist and we were looking at how um, humans evolve their need to speak based in a social and emotional context and that we can't Um, look at language separately from our whole being and I think um, speaking our minds and our emotions is part of one of our um, key human instincts so how how can we find the words to express our inner wranglings and and perhaps we could talk about how if we borrow some words maybe from poetry or plays like Shakespeare's that might be a good good place to start so where do we find these words from Ben?
1: That's a good question um well, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to, to talk with you on such a on such a subject. Um, where do we find the words? I suppose. I suppose uh, the heart, perhaps, lights the fire that activates the brain mm. that makes you speak. Yes. And um, what are we trying to do other than either express how we feel or express a, a way that we think about? Them? something. Um, And certainly from my perspective, I think a lot of my education, a lot of my time in school was spent uh, teaching me things to think and not necessarily either teaching me how to uh, reiterate or re-express those things, um, but perhaps sometimes. Hmm. I can't remember... A single moment really where I had space and time and opportunity to learn to be encouraged to have nurtured out of me um my feelings mm. I suppose um you know we often say tell me how you th- tell me tell me what's going on tell me how we, uh, w- what you feel about this but uh, there isn't a, a great arena certainly in, in, in most schools that are strapped for cash to be able to do anything beyond the three hours to 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 give this this space and time to encourage our younglings to 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 have the the verbal weaponry i suppose they're difficult things emotions and feelings i suppose and mm-hmm. um they're 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 sort of amorphous and abstract and they're, they're quite hard to nail down even if you've had 20 or 30 years of experience doing them using other people's words so um how do we how do we do that? That's such a good question. Um, I, I wish I knew, but all I can tell you is that, um, having noticed in myself and noticed in other people that not doing so can often bring great anxiety and depression. Mm. That, uh, bottling things up, as they say, or, um, or not speaking your heart or not wearing, not wearing your heart on your sleeve can, can make people quite unhappy. And, uh, I've certainly personally found a skill, I hope, or at least an ability with words, with speaking as eloquently and as articulately as possible by, well, mainly a trial by fire, Mm. by getting lots of opportunities to speak off the top of my head in public, which is something I learned from watching my dad lecture when I was a kid and, and still to this day. And yeah, and, and, and from having stabilizers, I suppose, mainly through the works of Shakespeare by, and, and, and other great poets, by getting to, it's, I think it's terribly frightening to be standing on, as it were, the, the, the cliff edge and, and almost be, be having someone say, jump, speak, speak mm. your mind, speak your heart, go on, it, it won't hurt, you'll be fine. But getting to do that using someone else's words who, for whatever reason, is particularly skilled in in being able to capture the human heart or the human condition in word, and pretending for a moment that those words are yours, it, it it makes it easier, I think, to do it. And then, of course, you mm. know, there's there's the other things that we're not very good at, like relationships and getting to being able to do that whilst under the pressures of em, other emotion or adrenaline and that kind of thing. But uh, but um, I would love to see more opportunity to get younglings and elderlings <laughs> to uh, be in safe environments where they feel like it's okay to to speak from their heart, to speak with full voice, which, again, is another massive skill set that isn't attended to. Um, so it, I can only imagine that would make for a much happier world.
0: So this is called oracy, this speaking. Mm. Yes, and it's a skill for life, isn't it? But uh, is it something that can be useful as well as ex- helping us express our um, thoughts and emotions and feelings can we say for example encourage schools to focus on it because there's a, a skill involved there that is good for careers well how can we encourage people to see it as not just a throwaway nice extra thing but actually it's a very central that's the thing bit. isn't it It mm.
1: very quickly and easily gets lumped into the mm. same bracket as dance and mm. art and drama yeah. and mm. they're the first things to go when a school has to, to mm. cut stuff mm. whereas these are the, the canvas and the paints and the brushes mm. from which people can really broaden their heart and soul mm. into, into and flourish into different aspects of, of what it is to be on this spinning rock mm. for such a brief amount of time. Um,
0: and and good, good speakers in any profession, say scientists, you know, who can speak about their work are, you know, incredibly valuable. It's, it, it's not necessarily because there's a very big focus on STEM in schools at the kind of cost, I think, of creativity and speaking and drama tends to get pushed aside so that we can focus on the important things so I, I think that the, one of the important things is learning how to express your thoughts on any subject Absolutely, and speaking is very much part of that um, uh, the,
1: uh, the the focus on I mean you know it's the age old mm. thing that I'm sure everyone has said at some point what's, when in my future life a quadratic equation is going to be useful to me and the, the maths mm. teachers go oh well you'll never know you know and, yep. and I, I'm sure that the, Perhaps the quadratic equation itself uh, doesn't turn out to be directly useful. Mm. Certainly thinking in that way or, or exercising your brain muscle to, uh, into that way of manipulating figures and, uh, and numbers is good exercise. But if the number of, <laughs> the number of authors, let alone the number of uh, artists, actors, scientists, brilliant, brilliant people, entrepreneurs mm. who I've worked with who have the most f- fantastic ideas. They're making huge amounts of money either for themselves or for charity or for the good of the world, but they have no ability to be able to express it. Mm. And um, the workshops that I run with them, they're not groundbreaking, they're simple things. They're it's storytelling, essentially. Right. I use the same exercises that I take into primary schools uh, with these 50, 60, 70 year old entrepreneurs that are having to uh, walk into the place that they've built from the ground up because what they're brilliant at is having fantastic ideas. And they've woken up with another fantastic idea. And they walk into Mm -hmm. uh, the company and they say, listen everybody, I know we've been making underwater hair dryers for the last while (laughs) and that's been doing us great, but tomorrow we're gonna start making flying umbrellas. (laughs) <laughs> and I know exactly the way to do it, and everyone goes, "What are you talking about? Oh my mm. God, this is terrible! We, like we we know how to do underwater hair dryers. This is this is never going to work." Uh, actually, I suppose you know we've done underwater hair mm. dryers for a long time. Maybe maybe flying umbrellas would work. Actually, flying umbrellas would be fantastic. You know what? This I know exactly how we can do this. This is brilliant. Mm. And then after, so you take mm. everybody through this what they call this change curve. Right. But what you need at the head of that is someone mm-hmm. ideally not standing behind a lectern, not reading from notes, and not nervous to to mm. make eye contact and actually connect with people. Yes, what people want, by and large, especially in this day and age, I suppose, on the flip side of being able to um, uh, to be able to, to 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 speak, is to be heard,
0: mm. to be
1: to be listened to. Um, I think we need that al- almost as much as we need the powers of Oracy is, is the power to, to really, truly listen. And um, and being, to be able to, as this entrepreneur, to be able to go and talk to your, your the people that are as we following you, that are working with you, to um, to know that their concerns are being listened to and that they you are talking directly to them rather than just reading the same thing that you could have read 50 times before. These aren't massive skill sets, mm. but equally a vast proportion of society mm don't have them they they don't have the ability to they feel nervous making eye contact they feel uh, unable to articulate themselves without i mean even a 5 minute best man or, or, or a wedding speech or something is is anathema to most people it's
0: a big deal isn't it yes it's deal. a huge big deal and
1: mm. um and people say or people say how do you learn the lines or uh, when you're acting or don't you get nervous being up on stage in front of people and i'm very very lucky to say that actually i love it mm. but um it takes well, they say the 10,000 hours to perfect a skill and mm. it, um, it certainly takes experience to um, get used to the very bizarre sequence of physiological reactions that your body goes through when you stand up on stage in front of people, You've, your mouth goes dry, you, mm-hmm. you sweat, you want the toilet, you suddenly lose all the lines. People say, oh, relax, you know, imagine the audience naked, all of these things. But were uh, what if ROC were um, a more central part of our education? If it was a skill set that we were learning younger on, mm. and we had a world of people that were much better at listening and talking to each other, well, I mean, heaven knows what it would be
0: like. It would be completely different, wouldn't it? If we um, if we don't express ourselves, okay. So if we sort of stem that self expression and we don't encourage people to speak and use their words, where where is that leading? I think mental health. Is a growing concern in teenage um, teenagers these days. Are so mm. perhaps using more and more technology and feeling less and less happy. There have been a few studies showing anxiety levels are on the rise, depression is on the rise. Um, can we posit Shakespeare as an antidote? <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, uh, certainly there are a number of things happening to Oracy because of the technological revolution. Mm. Um, in some respects, it's making things worse. Um, the the teen suicide rate in Japan is as bad as it ever was, if it's if not worse. Um, the uh, people or younglings, I say younglings, but you know, sort of mid teens and younger, aren't talking to each other as much. Now, mm. the positive flip side mm-hmm. of that is that sexually transmitted diseases are going down. Because they're just not in physical contact with each other as much as they used to be.
0: For anecdote, actually, we were at um, a dinner with um, the math school at my husband's college at Oxford and his tutor had retired. And I was sitting next to a first year student. And I said to him, because they were doing some work on the college, that, oh, what are you doing now? The bar is closed while they, you know, while they renovate that area. He said, oh, we, you know, not nothing really. We haven't really... Notice particularly because they weren't congregating there. Whereas when I was at college twenty years ago, that was our central place. It was the physical place where we met and connected and talked. And I think there would have been at least a picket protest outside the um, head tutor's office. But the um, current students seemed very unfazed about it, and they mm. said, "Oh no, we're just in our rooms on Facebook on our laptops." Um, and that kind of disconnection between people seems to be on the rise, and I, I do worry that if we're not actually speaking to each other, there's going to be a serious I mean, it should change. be, it should be yeah.
1: celebrated as well. We are talking to each other in different ways. And certainly, I, mean, I left Facebook in 2012 and I lost contact with a bunch of people that I wouldn't have been in contact with otherwise. And I mourn, I still mourn that uh, contact, but it's not worth going back to Facebook for. <laughs> um, um, and certainly... We've noticed in theatre recently, working with um, acting students coming fresh out of university or still through university, there was a terrible turn uh, in, uh, well, we we're sort of calling it emoji acting. In, right. In that these young actors had so little experience of face to face communication. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's hard to say, but um, they were smiling like a big smiley face for happy and they were frowning like a big sad face, smiley face wow. for sad. Mm. And their emotional spectrum, as it were, mm. was almost limited to different facial expressions as if they were copying. Gosh. It, we were calling it emoji acting, which sounds like a terrible thing to say, but... Talking to them and, and working with them over a period of time, we discover it's the truth. They they don't mm. have an awful lot of that. What you know, what we would call sort of this kind of communication vocabulary. So the like, uh, the, like
0: an emotional repertoire. Absolutely,
1: oh. yeah, yeah. Mm. And, and certainly combine that with the lack of uh, a sort of an oracy education to begin with. So they they didn't have the weaponry either, mm. um, and add in. A, 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 more than an obliviousness but i mean we have uh, Darren brown over here and they have david blaine in america Mm -hmm. and those mentalists that can tell who you are and what you do just from what you're wearing and what you're dressed and how you're holding yourself and um body language yes purely and simply which has so much to do with storytelling in the theater um subconsciously we will read into a character purely and simply by how they're holding themselves or or, Mm -hmm. or not and um all of this is being, all of this is being missed.
0: So yes, yeah, so that's sort of being pushed away. If we're not doing enough um, acting at school and Shakespeare, I'm not sure. I, not, I, I, not this... I want to be
1: careful about like I'm. Whilst I'm an actor and a big, mm. big fan of Shakespeare, I'm not mm. necessarily saying that theatre and Shakespeare is the route to it. It mm. certainly was for me. Mm. Giving the, I mean, why is theatre useful in schools? Because it's providing. Um, you're often using a space that's used for formal occasions in an informal way. Mm-hmm. That's fun just to begin with. Yeah. You're allowed to um, play and you use your imagination, which again, you probably haven't had much opportunity to do since infant or primary school, I suppose. Um, and uh, you get the reward at the end of it, which is the excitement of the night and the people coming and and the adrenaline shot and, and, the, and the applause. Um, so we, we spent most of our time doing high school musicals. The revelation for me with Shakespeare was having spent so much time on stage, one arena, and then in the other arena in class, being, as it were, forced to um, engage with Shakespeare or digest Shakespeare, or just digest this English literature um, in a book, and then, then there was this weird fusion of the two where I didn't want to do Shakespeare on the stage because I'd had such bad experience of it in school. Right. But then getting it and putting it up on its feet wasn't much fun either because we were doing a comedy. And mm. when you're rehearsing a comedy, the first three or four times the, you hear the gag, everyone laughs. And then the sixth or seventh and eighth and ninth times people sort of go, oh, yeah, that's still funny. And then the 20th time, no one's laughing. Right. The the, 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 the firework joyful climax of it all being smushed together with with an audience that final piece of the puzzle oh this is what shakespeare's about it's the arena for play and imagination and getting to speak these brilliant human condition words from your heart and the audience are are Mm. in it and resonating with it because we're essentially i later discover holding this mirror up to life Mm if you are able to track the path from early, early oracy through to the joys that, that can come from the, the fusion of, of, of theatre and education in Shakespeare, like the Shakespeare Birthplace Trust, Shakespeare Week are doing, like the, the Shakespeare Schools Foundation are doing, in the secondary school, um, I think they can be great tools and, and great pathways, but... Um,
0: They're not the only ones. Well, I
1: think, you know, Dad has a, mm-hmm. uh, often talks about The way that we will start by giving things names that can immediately put people off like he's a professor in linguistics what the hell is linguistics that sounds terrifying (laughs) you know you talk about Shakespeare and immediately people go and, 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 and dare to say the, the main style of poetry that he writes is in iambic pentameter and anyone that hasn't already switched off is going to mm-hmm. but if you talk about the fact that every line of Shakespeare naturally fits the human lungs that it's got the rhythm of the language that we're speaking now and the rhythm of the human heart and he manipulates that rhythm in order to closely uh, resemble day-to-day non-fluent speech and also break open the human condition who gives a damn what it's technically called yes. You know,
0: mm-hmm. you don't have to start with this is iambic pentameter let's break it down it could just be let's make it feel human and real and sort of feel it you
1: absolutely know? and you
0: have to say it to do that don't you you don't i i, I think i if, think so if you're I, just looking at the words as a reading text well, there are an awful lot it? of
1: people still around that are quite firm of the belief that shakespeare was never meant to be read out loud that the public performances 400 years ago were an excuse and an opportunity for him to do what he really wanted to do which is get it down in print but as I learned from my father, uh, and I'm blessed to, to get to work together with him so much, um, 80% of Shakespeare's audience couldn't read. Mm. And admittedly, less than 20% would have been rich enough to support what he wanted to do. So I can understand why one might think he would be writing for that crowd. But it's, it's from everything that we know about um, the works, and the way that they worked and the way that the theatres worked and everything else, hmm. they were, um, of course, held much less preciously than we hold them now. Well, um, now they're
0: literature with a capital well, L. <laughs> absolutely,
1: literature has claimed them away from theatre, which is you know, hmm. part of the problem, I think, that we're teaching it in, in the wrong school department if, that, if the school's lucky enough to have multiple departments. Hmm. But these things were absolutely designed and divine to be to be learnt by heart and spoken rather mm. than learnt by head memorized by head and and written about
0: and you don't have to start with the iambic penta thingy or the you know the unfunny jokes or you can you can try and find a kernel of something um, that's not just what the teacher finds interesting cuz quite often we say oh, we're going to watch this production and put it on a big screen and sure. the teacher is almost in tears <laughs> with joy and the kids are, you know i've seen them in the classes like you know just so what is this you know it's just so untouchable almost
1: um i, th- I think starting with yeah. passion actually mm. is a really good thing starting with complicated words mm. whether you want to introduce someone to a field of study and and, and and say linguistics and grammar and philology and etymology and all those kind of things or you can start by uh chasing down um Interesting things people are saying, or, or mm-hmm. the way people are playing with language, or whatever, um, or with Shakespeare, you could start with I'm a bit pentameter, or you could start with Caliban and Ariel and the mm-hmm. fairies, you know. Mm-hmm. But um, you can't. I think it's a it's an it's a darker or more dangerous pathway, perhaps, to to say um, you will love Shakespeare because I love Shakespeare, and mm-hmm. let me show you my love of Shakespeare. Well, I'm sorry, but your love is different from my love your love for a person or the world or nature or, or words or whatever is different from mine. And I'll be able to um, appreciate your love perhaps, but it's not gonna make me love it.
0: And you're not going to feel it.
1: And you're certainly not gonna feel mm. it. So um, oftentimes, if I'm asked, I'll say, uh, I'll rather than aim for a play, yeah, you can of course aim for the more fantastical characters and play in the world, mm. but um, the sonnets, these 154 little parcels of love poetry that are written in the first person you don't have to worry about plot or character or motivation or anything like that but find one that resonates with you and you will and if you are lucky enough to return to it a month or a week or a year later you will realize that your life experiences that you've gleaned since first reading it have made shone a different light on it and you realize oh actually i didn't really understand it at all and 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 as they say with acting you you peel the onion and peel the onion and you get further and further and further in and you you burrow yourself in and that's just one sonnet Mm. um offering that opportunity to a a classroom of students and saying hey which 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 of these do you does any of these make any sense to you Mm -hmm. uh and to to nurture their love yeah. Or, or or not necessarily, but at least um, to nurture opinion, an, op- an opinion perhaps. about yeah, to it. To have absolutely. an opinion,
0: because I think um, you've talked about children feeling uncomfortable in classrooms with Shakespeare. This is sort of is not not you know great unless they've got lucky, for example, or had a brilliant teacher. Um, could could this in part be to um, be in part to the received pronunciation of quite a lot of the BBC productions or some of the the, the classic productions that we we might be able to get hold of to play in classrooms
1: i think uh
0: it made it a bit untouchable by
1: yeah well i think there's two things going on there the one is is it's 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 an obscene and unfortunate circumstance in the world that will be ever slow to change but it discovering a way into a body of work that can be so self-revealing and revealing of the, the, the world at large, the reason why we're all here, what we're doing, the way that we interact with people, like health <laughs> and health care, and and not sleeping in misery or or, 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 or just being in pain generally. And it shouldn't be down to luck. Mm. It really shouldn't. And to have uh, empathy for your common fellow on this, to say, this this spinning rock. Um, it shouldn't come down to luck it really really shouldn't mm. it, it, it's um, it's a terrible thing. Um, is part of the reason why people get switched off to Shakespeare because it has whilst being claimed by literature also as it were been, been viewed as something for the few mm. yeah I think so um, I've certainly had that experience of it I know a lot of people who perhaps aren't um, first language English users uh, or come from a part of the world that has a stronger English accent uh, certainly feel uh, like they can sometimes have less ownership or permission over Shakespeare
0: Permission's be- an interesting word isn't it
1: because they mm. don't have the right sound and that mm. right sound has been drilled in for the last hundred and hundred twenty hundred fifty 150 years or so as being received pronunciation mm. but um but absolutely wasn't 400 years ago. Permission is, is I think, the, the absolute thing, that, and ownership are the absolute things that come from play. Mm-hmm. You get to play with something before you learn any of the rules of it. Just, just sort of, this is the king of the fairies. This is his evil, well, evil mischievous, evil, sorry. <laughs> this is his mischievous spirit. Uh, and this is a, a love triangle between four people. And he's a king and he's a queen. I mean, you know, these are archetypes that we we teach kids from the word dot mm. in their stories, right? To play in those worlds, we do that every day. Yeah, that's um, their territory. Absolutely, mm. and then I, I remember the joy, I mean, partly it comes from the family that I'm in, of course, when there's ping pong punning every tea time, pretty much, and a house full of books mm. and parents that, well, yeah, <laughs> they listen, but they study what they listen as well. <laughs> um, I remember discovering interesting muscular words like um, populist or something like that. And mm-hmm. my, one of my parents would say, "That's a big word for a little man or something, or a little boy." And you sort of go, yeah. yeah. And they they've, they've done neuroscientists have done studies on Shakespeare. It it makes your brain work. In a completely different way, when you're faced with challenging and muscular language, Mm -hmm. so it um, uh, it there's that play ownership, the permission, the whole thing to to know that your voice is the right voice for Shakespeare, that that you don't have to change because and indeed you know your voice is your identity, your accent is who you are more Mm -hmm. than the clothes that you wear. To know that you have permission to do that, no matter what your voice is is fundamental but it's completely the opposite of how Shakespeare's been perceived for the last while.
0: Yeah so, so how is your um, research into um, original practices and pronunciation as part of that isn't it um, has that helped at all to open up the emotional power of the words or helped people to connect with it more is it is it like when people hear the original pronunciation mm-hmm. and you break it down do they do they identify more perhaps with the
1: what's been your
0: what's yeah what's been your experience
1: of my personal experience the experience of my colleagues who have been speaking it and acting it and and indeed the the experiences that we've gleaned from the audiences around the world that we've shared it with has been uniformly we thought it was going to be harder to understand and speak it's Mm -hmm. much easier um we thought it might be a purely academic exercise, it's m- in fact much more emotionally engrossing and engaging and captivating mm. than we realised. Um, a bit like the old adage about, you know, if you want to introduce music students to Mozart, you don't give them the 72 page score of a one of his requiems or whatever. Mm
0: and ask them to read it
1: and ask them to read it you Mm. give them the cd well you know don't give them Shakespeare book to do to to read you give you get them to play in it Mm -hmm. but also um, using that sort of music analogy it seems that we have been through no fault of anyone's really uh, apart from perhaps the theatres that have been pushing the sound we've been Retuning ourselves, retuning Shakespeare to this different sound, and tuning it back, as it were, a dial on the radio, perhaps tuning it back towards the the accent, the combination of vowels and, and consonants that they were using four hundred years ago. It's almost like it removes the fuzziness. It's almost like you sort of go, "Oh goodness, that's what it's supposed to sound like," and it it, it is. It resonates with people in a mm. much more profound way. It's really startling to see it.
0: Can you take us back a little bit then to what some of this accent, this original you know, Elizabethan or Jacobean English would have sounded like? So, people shall, who are uninitiated.
1: Shall I compare thee to a summer's day? Thart more lovely and more temperate. Rough wines do shake the darling buds of May and summer's less hath all too short a date. Sometime too hot the eye of heaven shines, and often is his gold complexion dimmed. And every fair from fair sometime declines, perchance, or nature's changing course untrimmed. But thy eternal summer shall not fade, nor lose possession of that fair thou owest, nor shall death brag thou wanderest in his shade, when in eternal lines to time thou growst. So long as men can breathe, or eyes can say, so long lives this. And this gives life to them.
0: It's brilliant. could listen to it all day. Um, <laughs> I can speak yes. Yeah, it, it's so. It's just, yeah, it's fantastic. Isn't it? So how, tell us a bit. So you have been going around the world talking to people about how this original pronunciation and also the practices as well of playing in daylight because mm-hmm. this globe obviously is an open theatre, isn't it? People would have been seeing the actors and the actors would have seen the audience. So how has going in, peeling away the layers of the onion back to sort of Shakespeare's original practices opened up like the, the words and also the theater space. And, Mm. um, yes. Tell us a bit about what have been your findings doing this over the last eight years or five?
1: Uh, well, let's see. Dad Mm. first explored it at the Shakespeare's globe in 2004, 2005. Mm. And it was just another thing that dad was doing at the Mm -hmm. time. Um, Although, albeit at the, the theatre that I was in love with, but still, mm. um, my interest in it wasn't really peaked until uh, the master of movement, Glenn MacDonald at the Globe, came and sat next to him. They were rehearsing Romeo and Juliet for the most part in received pronunciation. They were nervous that people weren't going to understand it. Mm. And they were only going to perform in original pronunciation for one weekend. Right. And so that the, the effects of the, the change in accent was so great, they were finding more and more they were having to rehearse um, in one accent and rehearse again in another. Glyn dropped into the rehearsal for the original pronunciation and stopped and froze. And Dad said, you know, what's, what is it? What's the matter? And she said, they're moving differently. Wow. Now, Now you have me. Mm. Because I had grown up uh, going to see Shakespeare in the big theatres in the country and they would be great and it would be beautiful, but uh, they would often be standing quite still and declaiming, as was mm. the style for a lot of the 20th century. And I also grew up going to see uh, physical theatre companies like Complicite play, and they would be moving beautifully, but perhaps not so skilled in voice. And I thought, goodness, isn't there? There must be a way of fusing the two disciplines. So when Glenn said that, I was captivated. And as you say, have been lucky enough for, I suppose, 10 years or more now to go around the world and explore this sound, this this recreation of a, a sound system from 400 years ago that has gaps in it, because mm. it can't, we can't possibly get it perfectly uh, right, although it's sort of 80 to 90% right. And we found that the last sort of 10, 15, 20% is filled in by the speaker of which the speaker's accent from wherever they are. So you get to hear um, New York-esque original pronunciation or Delhi-esque original pronunciation or Norwegian-esque original pronunciation. So everyone's bringing a great degree of ownership Mm -hmm. to the sound. It's very individual sound, although you get a company of players from all over the world together and they'll all sound about 80 or 90% the same and then 10% themselves. If you get a bunch of people together and get them to study original pronunciation and also rehearse the play and and block it and everything else like you would in a 20th, 21st century rehearsal style of um, repetition, of of repeating the scenes over and over again. You get a lot of people wandering around making a lot of odd noises that sound a little bit unfamiliar. Um, What has been the biggest surprise I think is that this practice Hmm which we're calling original, although it's not and never could or should be authentic in the same way as the Shakespeare's Globe Theatre that you mentioned is an original practice building, but it's not authentic and it can't be with the fire sprinklers and the concrete floor and the mobile phones and the lack of plague, (laughs) all good things. Um, The sound in an original practice building makes a bit more sense the sound spoken by a a group of actors who have trained as an ensemble um, which is simply the french word for together but it's an ensemble is different from a cast they work together differently and the style um i I suppose one of the biggest resonances we have is uh, the rep system of the 20th century where you would have the same company of actors and they would repeatedly and frequently put on a new play often every week shakespeare's actors were um and 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 these 20th century actors would be together for anything from a few months to a few years uh, and sometimes their whole career now shakespeare's actors by and large were together for 20 years working in the same spaces working with different authors but continually improving their craft listening to each other playing often with each other knowing how one person will react in a particular way if you throw a curveball at them Mm. and not in a different way. Um, And improvising an awful lot because they were putting on a new play every day. Mm. Um, There wasn't a lot of time to, what we would understand, rehearse the thing. So the nature of Shakespeare's ensemble is, um, I suppose, one of some of the qualities of Shakespeare's ensemble, quick thinking, um, improvisation, playfulness uh, an ability to play in different spaces a great ability to listen very quickly and to say as it were as the improviser say yes and to anything that's offered to them now if you have all of those qualities and you add in original pronunciation you get you're tuning every skill set or every muscle Mm -hmm. that that was once needed to do shakespeare to a good tuning today if you practice an ensemble and uh, practice the accent and put it into a proscenium march, modern theatre, you mm. will find it doesn't work just quite as well. Right. So I suppose the, the surprising thing was perhaps I thought, oh, this will be an accent, that this will be a practice that will be revealing um, in and of itself. And actually, a bit like, I keep thinking... You know that circle you get in Trivial Pursuit where Mm -hmm. you get the different triangle pieces. Yeah. yeah. Each of these original practice wedges are all combining together. And rather than coming together to shine a light backwards, oh, this is what it would have been like. That's the authentic issue that people think. Oh, you know, the original practice is people running around in doublet and hose and (laughs) pretending to be in Shakespeare's time. Well, no, you know, what we've found is that. Sp- specifically with original pronunciation let's say it, it it's offering a bridge it's offering a bridge mm. to the future because I don't think as mu- as interesting as it would be we've done nearly a third I think or just over a third of Shakespeare's plays have been explored in original pronunciation now it will be great to hear the rest of them. We will find puns we've never heard, mm. seen before. We will find rhymes that we hadn't noticed before. We will find character revelations that we hadn't considered before. And then what? Should Shakespeare always be spoken in original pronunciation? Well, s- hopefully it's redressed the balance that we should, we must speak it in received pronunciation, this accent mm. that is hundreds of years away from Shakespeare. In the same way, hopefully, people will start to think that I don't want to hear Shakespeare in received pronunciation in the same way as I don't want to hear Tennessee Williams in received pronunciation. Mm. Um, but bec- the the and I think this is the magic of it all. Really, you are already speaking with a degree of original pronunciation in your voice by virtue of the fact you're speaking English. Yes, you have ownership over some of the vowel sounds of of OP, and. Um, when I go and work with Americans, I say, good news, you're 50% there. Mm -hmm. Bad news is, I've got the other 50%, and it's the same for me. Well, it's not quite 50%, but you know what I mean? So if we can get uh, to a place where, wherever you're from, whoever you are, and whatever voice you have, you feel like you've got an ownership over Shakespeare. And if original pronunciation has been the bridge towards that, then maybe the other side of that bridge is a place where We no longer feel that it's a a, a form of art that has to be expressed with a particular sound. Mm. Maybe the right sound finally becomes you and your sound simply and purely because you want to speak it.
0: So it might actually be, rather than trying to bring Shakespeare up to date for our teens so they can connect with him now and, you know, I don't know, all the characters have got mobile phones or something, Mm. we could actually try and transport them back and see how they can connect... Their own uh, their own accents, their own voices, and take ownership of it. And, and perhaps I don't know if you could.
1: I'm I'm not going to go d- with I you d- on, d- the, on the transporting back. I don't see Shakespeare Just... or any of these original practices as time machines. Hmm. Um, I, do, I certainly see lots of bolted on attempts in, in well meant attempts to make Shakespeare accessible, hmm. make Shakespeare accessible again. <laughs> You know those great catchphrases. I mean, how do we make Shakespeare relevant? I know, like you say, we'll um, we'll give them mobile phones. or mm. we'll set it in the modern world, and but you know, like we talked about earlier, the storytelling audiences are really astute. They even if they wouldn't necessarily be able to articulate why they know that a particular character isn't happy or sad or whatever, if they haven't mm. um, the 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 experience to register the body language is twisted in a particular way, for example. Mm. They're clever audiences, um, especially as this amorphous unit is an audience rather than fifteen hundred individuals, um, and they'll wonder why Romeo didn't call Juliet and say, "Don't worry, I'm okay," or vice versa. Oh, if know. they had mobiles, exactly, yeah, it kind know. of
0: ruins the plot, doesn't it? Well, <laughs>
1: it, it's sort of it's 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 dragging Shakespeare mm. by the beard and and ripping him into the twenty first century. Mm. It's missing the whole sort of point mm. that these things, de facto, in and of themselves, are accessible because he's never writing about what it is to be in the 16th century or the 17th century, and he's not writing about what it is to come from Warwickshire or, 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 or you know, live in a place where death is much more common on the mm. streets or any of these things that tie it to, to then. He's writing about what it is to be human, what it is Mm. to be in love, what it is to lose, what it is to be a a grief-stricken mother, what it is to be ambitious, what it is to want more from life, what it is to question what life's about. Um, These things are are hugely relevant and accessible because we're still asking them today. We don't need mobile phones to make that um, an easier pill to swallow, Um, but we do need courage and heart Mm. and, and to be brave to... And, and like we said earlier, the facilities to be able to both ask these questions of each other and to be able to try and form an answer.
0: So can you give me a concrete example? How OP has helped kind of crack open, if you like, straight into the emotional the core of a of a I don't know, of a, a bit of a line that maybe people find difficult to relate to. I'm thinking like in Hamlet, is there an mm-hmm. example where OP's really opened it up?
1: Oh sure. Um Well, we found that the actors that were playing the female characters in Shakespeare um, were able to tap into sides of those characters that, uh, I don't know, I certainly hadn't experienced before. Mm. So, for example, Ophelia, um, who is often seen as being quite um, passive and quite... At Hamlet's beck and call, and women sort of a puppet that's pushed around by everybody, the groundedness that that comes from original pronunciation, which predominantly comes from the "i" sound, the per- first person pronoun, the the centre of that sound is is down in your gut rather than "i" when you sort of up here in the, in the mm. voice and throat, I suppose, um, and it shifts your stance, and you you tend to sort of stand a bit more solidly, mm. move a lot more faster, a lot faster, um, and I remember both Emily and Meg, who were playing Gertrude and and Ophelia respectively, were making really strong, active, uh, forceful choices. Now, they are both strong, forceful and active women too, which is part of the reason why we were interested in in seeing them play those parts. But um, they said that the... Because one of the ways that we teach it and explore it is to try speaking the accent in your own voice uh, so try speaking the lines in in your own voice, and then switch to OP, mm-hmm. and then sometimes switch back to your own voice, having swum in the OP pool for a while, just to keep checking in on on the changes that happen mm-hmm. both in your body and in your your way of thinking. And um, they they kept saying, I feel more restricted in my own voice. I feel just quite slight and careful and tender and, and anxious. And and we know Peter feel more garrulous and more on my front foot and more happy to dive in and get up to my arms. So um, that was interesting I in and of itself. Yeah. With um, Hamlet um, himself, itself, <laughs> uh, every man, um, I got all of those things and more. I think he's definitely thought of as being this inactive, indecisive... Um, conflicted fellow and he became much more active much more sure-footed ch- chasing down the answer to these questions rather than sitting back and wondering about them mm. and i think the biggest revelation was um a pun uh I, I found well it's not really a pun but a sound echo um in uh to be or not to be which is often thought about as, as being a speech about suicide
0: mm. he
1: says towards the end um thus conscience does make cowards of us all and thus the native hue of resolution is sickly doe with a pale cast of thought and enterprises of great pith and moment with this regard the currents turn away or awry and loose the name of action and uh, I think a lot of people imagine that he's come on intending to commit suicide which is odd because the last moment we saw him he said the play's the thing wherein I'll catch the conscience of the king Mm-hmm. Um, and indeed Shakespeare rarely repeats himself and Hamlet had already talked about suicide early on in the play, he says, um, oh, that this too, too solid flesh would melt Thor and resolve itself into a dew or that the everlasting had not, uh, fixed his cannon against self-slaughter. Something like that. Oh God, oh God. <laughs> um, how weary, stale, flat and unprofitable seems to me all the uses of this world. So he's already explored that idea. Yeah, and 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 Shakespeare doesn't really repeat the same idea. What's the point in repeating it Mm. twice with an audience that's so used to listening? You don't need to say this. You don't need to hit them over the head with it. Mm. Um, And indeed, many directors have moved to be or not to be. Peter Brook did it most recently, uh, because and then the Benedict Cumberbatch one. They did it as well. They put it at the top of the show to make more sense of it. Now, the Shakespeare speeches were an opportunity for the protagonist to talk to the audience. If you think about the character dialogue as being black and white, then the soliloquies are the grey moments, the moments when the, sh- in the, uh, the characters turn out to the audience and go, help me, what do you think I should do? Do you think I should kill Claudius? What do you- I don't know. <laughs> um, and it's a sad fact that suicides tell not their best friends they're going to commit something like mean, you know what is he coming out to explore and I suppose a lot of the interpretations have been I'm going to do it I'm going to do it I can't do it thus the native hue of resolution is sickly though by the pale car. I'm thinking too mm. much about it I'm not going to do it right in the previous speech oh what a rogue and peasant slave am I he says uh, he's talking about how the player has, has, has gotten so worked up the player king has gotten so worked up about about Hecuba. And Hamlet gets upset with himself for not being able to get himself built up to the same degree of upset and emotion uh, about something so personal as Claudius. And he asks the audience, Am I a coward? Who breaks my cost because of the lie of the throat, is deep the lungs? Huh? He says. And when I saw Mark Rylance do this at the Globe, he said, Huh? And he waited. And he wouldn't continue until someone in the audience went, yeah, you are a coward. And the next line is, yeah, I should take it, for it cannot be, but I am pitching them. So th- there's, there's the idea, as throughout Shakespeare, that there's opportunity for the audience to respond. Now, coward in original pronunciation is pronounced "cord." Am I a chord? Mm. And in the folio, it's capitalised. And I noticed this, because I was using the first folio text, because I'm a geek because it's the edition edited by two of his actors closest to shakespeare and i thought i've seen that word capitalized somewhere else and it's it's in to be or not to be does conscience does make cowards chords of a soul and i thought hang on maybe this to be or not to be speech isn't a suicide attempt maybe this is him hearing that this audience member has called him a coward that they don't understand life and death the way that he does he says the spirit that i've seen may be the devil Yea, and perhaps out of my weakness and my melancholy, as he is very potent with such spirits, abuses me to damn me. So the the ghost of his father could be the ghost of his, the walking corpse of his father. Mm -hmm. Or it could be the devil sent in disguise to tempt him to evil. Now, he doesn't necessarily believe in life and death. He studied philosophy Mm -hmm. of Wittenberg with Horatio. But he has to acknowledge the fact that if he kills Claudius, and Claudius is innocent, if hell exists, he could be going to hell. Yeah. So if you thought about life and death the way that I do, audience, then you would think me a coward too. So conscience thinking in this way makes cowards mm. of us all. And that was such a revelation for me. Just from that those two sounds connecting them together and going, oh, these aren't separate speeches. In some respects, for me, to be or not to be was a, a continuation of yes. the previous one. A sort of explanation to the audience, saying, "No, trust me. Go with me. We're nearly there. I will do it. But the reason that you think I'm being indecisive is because..."
0: So he's making you actually engage with that really lofty philosophy, isn't he? But you know, bringing in, you know, the audience is being asked to put themselves in his in his position. Well, you know, think about this philosophical debate and the wranglings of it. So it's actually.
1: Do you know that's? hmm. I think the thing Hmm. that makes it accessible more. Hmm. In and of itself, Shakespeare is accessible because all, he, as as Hamlet says with the player, all they're really trying to do is hold the mirror up to life mm. and go. Do you ever think about this? Mm. Do you? I mean, you, you theatre paying audience who are fined if you don't go to church every week. Yes. Who are expected to believe in God?
0: <clears throat> do you ever think
1: about what happens after life? You yeah. know, I mean, the, the, it's a question that we will never ever answer. And the fact that he dared to ask this audience, who were supposed to be so devoutly religious, to pop that question into their heads was so generous. He's he's the most generous author. He's the most generous playwright of that time. I know he's the most generous playwright I've ever experienced because of that that incredible generosity of of thought that makes him universally accessible. I
0: mm, guess. Yeah, and you it's helping to sort of build some empathy as well, isn't it? Because you're thinking, like, how is this other person feeling? And I think you've talked before about how performing Shakespeare can promote empathy.
1: Well, um, again, with the uh, the neuroscientist research of recent years, theatre in Mm. general does. We have these Mm. things apparently called mirror neurons, which uh, basically means on some level, if you witness me laughing out loud and being very happy bit of you feels exactly the same, right? And likewise, if you see me grieving and really upset, a bit of you grieves. Mm-hmm. And the degree to which we are, um, we have empathy, we are empathic, is greater or, or lesser depending on on how much lo- nurture, or life experience, or education, or, or thi- you know, mm-hmm. whatever things it is that, that brings that out. But um, Bear grills said just recently in the in the press, you know empathy is a learned trait we can Mm. teach it we can encourage it to know that empathy is something that essentially is inherently in all of us in these these wonderful mirror neurons Mm. um well i mean that's a wonderful and great thing for school and education anyway but it certainly means that um there's something special about the theatrical environment and it's not just theater i was sitting around a fire the other day on a beach and people started telling stories as their eyes like drifted into the fireplace. We've been sitting around places, talking to each other and telling stories to each other since we knew how to make fire. You it's know. just what humans it's do. It's just isn't what it? humans do, mm. and there's a mm. bit of us that is evolved, I guess, that is genetically predisposed towards that experience. Mm-hmm. So, um, as big a Shakespeare fan as I am, I must be, be truthful and say it isn't just Shakespeare that's good at it, but um, it's the value of. The value of oracy, the value of storytelling, the value of listening and the value of allowing what's being said to affect you. It's
0: priceless. It is. Thank you so much, Ben. It's been a real pleasure to talk to you. Thank you, Kate.